restates the gospel, the resurrection, as a key piece of this gospel message. Today we're going to look at some of the implications of the resurrection. So there's three big paragraphs, and we're just going to look at each one in turn. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But God did not raise Jesus from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that's those who've died in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. So this first paragraph, it's just a, Paul's just using some logic and basically saying you can't have it both ways. Either Jesus was raised from the dead and therefore the rest of us will be too, or no one will be raised from the dead and Jesus wasn't either. You can't say Jesus was raised from the dead, but then there is no resurrection. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's one or the other. Either Jesus and the rest of us will also be raised or none of us will be raised, and that means Jesus was not either. And if Jesus wasn't raised, then he lists all these things that would be true. We're lying about God, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. This idea, again, is the res- Jesus' death was for our sins. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He died to pay the debt that we incur because of the sins that we commit. But if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we don't know whether the check cleared. All we know is he wrote the check, but we don't know it's good unless he's raised from the dead. His resurrection certifies that the check did, in fact, clear. Or if you like a different picture, if death is the biggest bully on the block, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then that means death won. That means death is still reigning. Jesus' resurrection shows that he took out our biggest enemy. Our biggest enemy is not Satan. It's, it's death. Everyone dies, and by defeating death, Jesus shows that death no longer reigns, that life does. So his resurrection, that's why Paul says without it, our faith is futile. We don't know if we're forgiven or not. All we know is that Jesus died for our sins, but we don't know if it was effective. We know that Jesus said he was going to defeat death, but we don't know because he never came back. So for all we know, death won. So resurrection, uh, if Jesus, then us. If not us, then not Jesus. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. First fruits is the beginning of a harvest. You know, it's your first tomatoes that you pull off the plant that lets you know there's going to be more. This is a good, productive plant. So Jesus is first. That implies that there will be others after him. For since death came through a man, that is Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, that's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, that's, that's Christians, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after, he's de- after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For Jesus must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under Jesus, it's clear that does not include God the Father himself who put everything under Christ. When Jesus has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to the Father who put everything under the Son so that God may be all in all. So that's that's the goal of all of this, is for God to be all in all. And that subordination is functional. Sons are subordinate to fathers. We all 
get that. And so that's what's going on here. Jesus has a job to do as the son. Once that job is completed, once he's defeated every enemy of God, then he's going to sit down and he's going and then his father will be all in all. He will, as the son, be functionally subordinate to the father as as sons are. The thing I want to pick up from this passage is this verse 22. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You got a couple of choices. Really, you have one choice, two options. Uh, living life. We're all born in Adam. Adam was the first human, and therefore he's the ancestor to all of us, and he's passed certain things on to us. Jill, and you can go ahead and put that slide up if you want. He's passed certain things on to all of us. We're, we've all been created in the image of God. Adam was created in the image of God. You see that in Genesis 1. 26 and 27, therefore we all are as well. As his ancestors or his descendants, we've all been created in the image of God. That's a positive for us. Kind of As an aside, the whole idea of human rights is based on this, that we're all created in God's image. We all have inherent dignity and worth. If all we are is random mutations over time where the fittest have survived, then there's no reason for anybody to take care of anybody else because if you're weak, well... You don't deserve to survive anyway. So this whole idea of human rights is actually rooted in the fact that everybody, regardless of their relationship with Jesus, has dignity and worth because we've all been created in the image of God because we're all descended from Adam, who was created in the image of God. That's about the only positive to staying in Adam's family. The other things we get from him are a propensity or a bent towards sin or a sin nature, uh, this our wills are, sh- are turned in a way that we're all destined to sin. We sin by our own free choice, but we're all bent in that direction from birth. And any of you who've been around children know, absolutely, people are sin- we're bent towards sin and selfishness from the time that we're born. And because of that, we're all destined to die as well. We're all going to die because of the wages of sin is death, not just a physical death, which we all experience, but also a spiritual death, alienation from God because we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. That's what every person who's ever lived and ever will live, that's what we're born into. But that doesn't mean we have to stay that way. Jesus comes and he sets up a new family. Adam is the head of this one family and Jesus comes up and sets up another family and we can make a choice to say, you know what, I don't want to remain in Adam. I want out, and I want to live my life in Christ. That's the, the word, the, the picture of adoption that you read about in the New Testament, in Romans 8 particularly, this idea that God adopts us out of Adam and places us in his family. And there's certain things that we then inherit because we're in Christ. We're no longer in Adam. We're now in Christ, and you can see the list. That's just a few things Uh, There's more. There's probably 80-something verses in the New Testament about being in Christ and the benefits that accrue to us because we're in God's family. And that's just a handful of them. There's no condemnation. There's security. There's provision. There's blessing. There's reconciliation and peace. There are all of these things that come to us because we're in Christ. And so we have a choice to make. Do we want to remain in Adam with, yes, you're creating God's image and you're bent towards sin, and you're going to die and spend forever separated from God? Or do you want to say, you know what? I think I want to do this instead and be in Christ where you get all these other things. The choice is yours, and the choice is mine, and that's a choice that we have to make. So a couple of things. One, if you're in Adam, my question to you is, 
why, why would you choose to stay there? If you're in Christ, which many of you are, and many of you, you're Christians, you've been following Jesus for a long time. If you're in Christ, why do you continue to live as if you're in Adam? When you've been adop- adoption in our world, you get a new last name, you're brought into a new family, and the cultures and the rhythms of that family become yours. But your DNA does not change. Your genes don't change. Those things are still, those are given to you at conception, biologically, and, and they're not altered. It's different when we're adopted by God. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Adam is gone. The new has come. We're no longer in Adam. We're now in Christ. We don't just take on a new name. We don't just pick up new rhythms and new culture. We actually become new and different people. We're new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. The struggle for us is sometimes we don't see that happening, and we continue to live in Adam. If there is no con- if you're in Christ, and you are, if you're a Christian, then why do you still struggle with guilt? If there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and you're in Christ, then why do you continue to condemn yourself? If, if Jesus says, listen, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to provide for you. That's one of the promises. I think it's Philippians 4, 19. Why do we continue to struggle with worry? If in Christ our needs are going to be met according to his riches and glory, why do we continue to struggle with worry? That's an, that's an Adam issue, not a Jesus issue. If Paul says in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God, angels, demons, present, past, future, death, life, nothing, how come we struggle with the fact that we missed our quiet time and suddenly God's angry with us? Demons can't separate us from God. Death can't. The future can't. Nothing in all the world but the fact that I forgot to read three chapters of the Bible this morning. Suddenly God's ticked off. We live that way. Where's the security of being in Christ for us? Where's the, you lost your temper with your kids. Okay, don't do it again. But don't think that somehow that means God is suddenly ready to smite you. He's not a smiter. He doesn't do that for us. We're in Christ. We're not in Adam any longer. And some of us, even though we're in Christ, we continue to live out of this old nature that's dead. And you don't have to because you've been adopted by a new father. And he hasn't just given you a new name. He doesn't just put you into a new family structure. He gives you a new nature. And that's what we want to live out of. Verse 29. If there's no resurrection, then what will those do who are baptized for the dead? Let me pause right here. That's a bit confusing. Baptized for the dead. Let me just say, nobody knows what in the world was going on. This is it. That's the only reference to that in the New Testament. We don't have any idea what was going on. The best we can figure, some people in this church were being baptized for people who had died. Vicarious baptism. So they were kind of being baptized in place of either people in their family or people in their community who had died, most likely before they got baptized. So that's what's going on. Um, Paul does not condone it. It actually runs um, counter to everything he believes. We're saved um, by grace through faith, not by grace through baptism. Baptism is important. It's not essential to becoming a Christian. The thief on the cross was not baptized, and every indication is that Jesus said, you're going to be with me today in paradise. So he was saved apart from Baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward commitment that we're making. It's this public declaration that I'm following Jesus. I'm trusting in him. I've died with him. And I'm living with him now. And so it's very important. 
but it is not essential for salvation. You can make that distinction between important and essential. So Paul is not, he doesn't spend a lot of time on it, and, and so we can think, well, he must not have thought it was that big a deal. Um, he doesn't spend a lot of time on it, but we know it's against everything that he believes. So if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? That's why Paul is even bringing it up. He's using this against them. If you don't believe there's a resurrection, then why are you being baptized for people who are dead? Because if they're dead and there's no resurrection, then that's that. There's nothing beyond. So even your own behavior doesn't make sense in light of what you're saying. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, he was not, he's talking about his enemies, not literal animals. For merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. What This last paragraph, what he's saying is the resurrection should affect the way you live. Yes, it's future, but it's such a monumental event. It should affect present. In light of this, this resurrection that we know is, is coming, you should live a particular way. You should live with an eternal perspective. It's not, right now, you're, you're not doing that. Y'all are still struggling in a lot of ways. There's a lot of sin going on. You're, you're missing the point. Resurrection should equal changed behavior here and now. This is Colossians 3. Let me read this to you real quick. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I think this idea of having an eternal or a heavenly perspective is pretty difficult for us to grab onto. This is the world that we live in. This is the structures that we're immersed in. And so it's very easy to take our cues from the values and the priorities of this world and even as Christians when we try to detach from that it's still very difficult to do that on an ongoing basis because again this is where we live it's almost like trying to tell a fish just if you just get out of the water it'll be okay it's very difficult for us to extract ourselves from this culture that we live in and to try to begin to cultivate this heavenly mind not easy when I say heavenly mind don't think fat angels and harps that's not what I'm talking about the the world to come will be much more like this world than it will be different from this world god created this in genesis 1 and 2 and he didn't make a mistake this is what he wanted sin entered the world in genesis 3 and ruined everything but the creation itself was good there's rhythms that we see in genesis 1 and 2 that will continue you see them in revelation 21 and 22 as well there's rest there's work i don't mean getting a paycheck i mean meaningful work there's relationships we see those rhythms in genesis 1 and 2 that's how god orchestrated creation that's what he wanted for us as his people and the same thing will be true in the new heaven and new earth we're not just going to sit in church services all day that's not it's not the picture that you get in revelation 21 and 22 and we're definitely not floating around on clouds playing harps the picture again is much more like what we have here minus sin and all of the effects of sin, which are gigantic, enormous, across every aspect of our life together, you remove all of those things. And that's what we've got, this new heaven 
in this new earth. God has to purify this earth that we're living on, but he's not going to destroy it totally. Again, there's a new heaven and a new earth for all of us. And we want to have a perspective that's based on the, on the reality that this new heaven and this new earth is our inheritance. That's our future. We're going to live there. And so the amount of time that we live on this, in this present age on this earth is relatively short compared to the amount of time we're going to live in this new heaven and this new earth. A we, uh, analogy, this might be a little convoluted. If it is, you can forget it. So the most biblically literal 24-hour day creationist count the generations, add up the years, people, they're going to tell you the earth is 6,000 years old. Minimum, six to ten, somewhere in there. Many people are going to say it's billions, but again, if you just if you just count the generations in the Bible and add up the years, you're going to get somewhere six thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand years old. If we take that age of the Earth and we make that a day, a proportion. Remember those in school, proportions. So the age of the Earth equals one day. So this six or seven thousand years. That's twenty four hours for us. We'll, we'll say our average lifespan is 75 years. I think women, it's about 78. Guys, it's about 72. We'll split the difference and say 75. That's 75 for us. That equates to about 18 minutes. That's all you get. If the earth is 6,000 years old, and nobody's going to tell you it's younger than that, your life, birth, life, death, is 18 minutes. That's all you get. That's less time than I'm going to talk. You're wasting it right now. That's all you have is 18 minutes to do something with. And how much, how much more is eternity than 6,000 years? What does our life on earth become? Fleeting, not unimportant, massively important, but not long. And so if you only have a short amount of time, what do you want to be doing with that time? If you've only got 18 minutes... Well, what in the world do you want to do with it? That's a, that's a heavenly or an eternal perspective. It's a realization that this life, is yes, it's important. The choices we make now do have eternal consequences. So let's make sure that the choices we make now actually have eternal consequences. When I was a freshman at Georgia, I was walking to class one day. I had to walk by the baseball field, and I looked. It was in the fall, and they were, doing, they were having tryouts. And when I got to class, they had baseball tryouts. I got the red and black. That's the campus newspaper. And it said, walk-on tryouts for baseball. And so that's what those guys were doing. They were all trying out for the baseball team. There were walk-ons. I think they said there were two slots or a couple of dozen guys fighting for two slots. And in my mind, as I walked by, I thought, six months ago, how many of these guys were all-county? How many of these guys were MVPs? Have any of these guys ever been at risk of being cut from a baseball team? Most likely, no. Most likely, these guys have always been the best every time they've played, every time they've stepped on the field. But suddenly, they're in a bigger pond, and everybody's all-county. Everybody's MVPs. And I started thinking, how many homecoming queens are there out of these 30,000 people at the University of Georgia? How many valedictorians? How many people have 4-0s? How many people were president of their class? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Easy in a school as prestigious as Georgia, which you have. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> what I thought was this stuff that's fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But it all, it didn't, that stuff didn't even carry over from high school to college. 
It didn't carry through the summer. And how many things are we working and striving and investing in? They're not going to make it through. If everything is burned by fire, well, how much of what I have is actually fireproof? This is what 1 Corinthians 3 says. Paul talking about building on a sure foundation. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. We're not talking about whether you're a Christian or not. This is not a salvation issue. We all have this foundation of Jesus. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because that day, that judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flame. So this doesn't have to do with your eternal salvation. That's secure in Christ. What this has to do with is, what are you giving yourself to right now? You've got 18 minutes. Is anything from your 18 minutes going to make it from this world into the next? Most of the stuff that we do, it doesn't make it from high school to college. It doesn't make it from college to our first job. It doesn't make it from our first job to our second job. It doesn't make it from our first house to our second. Most of those things, they don't, they, they don't transport. They don't travel. The things that we tend to give ourselves to, to have a heavenly perspective. It doesn't mean you spend all day praying and reading the Bible. It means you make decisions based on values and priorities that are for the next world and not this one. So suddenly, justice and righteousness become way more important than advancement and prestige. Forgiveness becomes way more important than revenge. Those types of things. Peace and reconciliation become way more important than being right and standing on that. Those are the type, that's the type of perspective that we need to begin to develop. It has very practical implications. If you look back on that slide Jillian's going to throw up um, from Colossians, all of these things, that's just in like eight verses, Paul says. If you're going to have a heavenly perspective, here's all this stuff that you have to do. All these, not have to do, all these things that come from having a heavenly perspective. You're going to quit lying. You're going to treat your wife and your kids and your employees, in this case slaves. You're going to treat them better. You're going to take care of one another. You're going to forgive. You're going to walk with people when you're struggling, when they're struggling. It's not this idea that having a heavenly perspective somehow makes you no good while you're here on earth. It changes everything. It gives you a new orientation to what you're doing. It allows you to recognize what is truly important and worth your 18 minutes and what's not. There's nothing wrong with being all county, and there's nothing wrong with being a homecoming queen, and there's nothing wrong with being class president. It's just thinking that somehow those things have eternal significance. That's when we lose, that's when we lose perspective, we, when we base our identity on those things, or when we step on people in order to attain those things. When we somehow think those things are what bring worth to our life, that's when we miss it. When we lose relationship over those things. When we compromise our integrity for those things. We've missed it at that point. Those Because they don't carry. They don't translate into the next world at all. And so for us, I think a question is, if you've only got 18 minutes, what do you want to be doing with your 18 minutes? Where do you want to be investing your energy? Where do you want to be investing your resources? Where do you want to be investing your time? If Jesus says the two greatest commandments are to love God 
and to love people. How much of your day is spent on those two things? If he says to everybody, make disciples, get out there, connect with people, help encourage them towards Jesus. Those who are already Christians, help encourage them to become more like him. Any of that working, we doing any of that, or any of our 18 minutes going to those types of activities. A lot of the stuff that we spend time, it will, your job, most of you, it will, it will take every second you'll give it. And it won't even say thank you. It'll take, 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 take. We've got plenty of stuff that just, that, that will take every minute. The carpool, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Again, it's just this recognition of, if you've only got 18 minutes, how do you want to be spending it? No guilt, just recognizing this opportunity that we have before the Lord to make our choices count, to make our time count, to make our money count, to make our energy and investment count. And that's what we want. You're, you're going. You're in. You're in Christ. This is not about salvation. This is just about what's going with you. Is it wood, hay, and straw, and it's all going to burn? Or is there some gold and silver and costly stones that are going to make it through? Let's pray. God, I do pray that the reality of the resurrection would penetrate our hearts on a deeper level not just when we're sitting in here in a worship service and it's kind of easy to say oh yeah it's got it, jesus is it he's most important and i'm gonna base my life around his priorities and his values it's easy in here much more difficult once we get into a hostile environment where those values are not only not celebrated in a lot of ways they're denigrated and so god my prayer for each of us is that your resurrection would stay front and center in our hearts in mind, God, that we would every day live in the reality that we will be raised from the dead. This life is not all that there is. This life is, is a prelude in many ways to life with a capital L that is to come. God, that we've got, we have a relatively short period of time now, and it is massively important, but it is short. And God, that we would use this time that you've given us to better prepare ourselves and others for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have several several different things here. You're smart. You can keep up with all of them. One, we're going to take communion. The way we take communion here at Stonebridge, during this, these last couple of songs, you'll come forward a row at a time. We don't have ushers. Just follow the lead of the people in front of you. You'll break off a piece of bread and then dip it in the juice and then eat it. There's gluten-free communion, and it will be sitting right over here on this table. If you need that, by all means, go over there and take that. Otherwise, just stay in your line. Uh, we're going to have two points or three points for ministry. One, if something I shared today, particularly about this whole idea about um, not wasting your life, if there's a piece there for you that you feel stirring, I'd love the chance to pray for you about that. Second thing we want to pray for is we want to take some time and pray for physical healing. A number of people over the past four or five weeks who seem to be really struggling physically with some kind of freakish things, some, and some of them relatively serious. And so we want to make a point this morning to pray um, for physical healing. So if you're struggling uh, physically, if you have a physical need, please come forward. We'll have ministry teams in the corner. Um, our ministry elders will be available, and we would love the chance uh, to pray for and with you for God to touch your body. And during uh, worship, I had a picture in my mind. It was two people in form a tux and an evening gown. I didn't see any faces. 
two people dancing, and the male kept stepping on the female's toes. And this is really what I felt like. I felt like God said, he's, he's the man, and he's stepping on somebody's toes because you're trying to lead. And if you'll just let him lead, he's not angry at all. It just wouldn't hurt so much if you would let him lead. He'll, he won't step on your toes if you'll follow him. And so if there's an area in your life where you feel like maybe you've, you're trying to drive, I think the, the invitation from God this morning, again, without any anger, is just let, let me do this. Just let me lead. It doesn't mean you're passive. It just means you follow instead of, of trying to figure things out on your own. Now, if that word resonates with you, we'd love to pray with you about that as well. So you guys can stand. Uh, if you're helping with communion, come on. If you're helping with ministry, come on. So you guys, when you all come forward for communion, just stop off in these corners for um, ministry. I'm going to say one more prayer, and then Bo will dismiss us uh, when we're done. God, as we talk about the resurrection, we're focusing here on your death, and the resurrection affirms to us that the thing that your death was effective. It wasn't just a nice sentiment. It wasn't just sweet. It wasn't even just noble. God, it was effective. Because of your resurrection, what we're about to do here in communion has meaning beyond sentiment. God, there's power in these moments because your son has been raised from the dead. And so, Lord, we want to grab on to all of the benefits of his resurrection. God, we want to grab on to the healing that is available to us not because of us, but because Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he's overcome sin and he's overcome sickness as well. God, we want to grab onto the benefits of your protection that are available. God, that we don't have to be a punching bag for the enemy. God, that there's protection in Christ. God, for any who feel exposed today, I pray that they would know the reality of hiding in the rock that is you. God, that there's direction for us in Christ, that we don't serve a mute God, but one who leads and speaks and guides. And Lord, I pray for any who are wandering today that they would be well-directed. God, for those who are tempted to lead, Lord, I pray for trust in these moments. If there's a God who loves them enough to die for them, surely they can trust him enough to lead them through some murky waters in life. God, if there are any here today who are still in Adam, they've never made the choice to say yes to you, Lord. My prayer is as as during these moments, that you would speak to them in a way that they would understand, not us, you directly to them, calling them home, saying, I, I picked you out. You're one of the ones that I want to adopt. And God, my prayer, our prayer, is that they would say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.